And let's pray together. Father, we thank You that we have this time once again. We pray that You would strengthen us to hear well. We pray that even in the late hours of the day, You would open our hearts and our minds to receive what You would say to us from Your Word and that Your Spirit would use this Word to build us up in truth. Use this for our good, Lord, and even more, use it for Your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for coming along on the journey today and um, for seeing with me a few things, I hope, in Ephesians. If you haven't noticed, I've tried to be sneaky and sneak in as much of Ephesians 1-3 to as I possibly can, even though I'm saying I'm only preaching on portions. I keep trying to read other sections, just preacher's tricks, you know. We try to get through as much as we can in as little time as we have. Um, tonight, I, I want to I just quickly think back. We've talked about a peaceful people. A people that have been brought together because of what Christ has done for us at the cross. I thank you for the wonderful words we've been able to sing about that truth. Thank you. We've also talked about a prayer for strength. So we see what God has done in bringing together people as part of God's plan for salvation. Now, Paul prays for strength that the believers would actually understand what's happened, what they actually have in Christ, who they actually are in Christ. And this is really to keep them from discouragement. And now he's enacting a practical plan to show us all this rich truth that's happened earlier on in Ephesians amounts to some real practical instructions for living as God's people. And it begins in verse 1 with something very, very simple. As a prisoner for the Lord, Paul says about himself, I'm urging you now to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. I want you to live according to the truth that you have received here. It's difficult. Growth is very, very hard. I mentioned to you in the last sermon that living as a Christian, I think, is increasingly hard in our culture. Growth is hard. Living is hard. A way to to understand this a bit more is actually to ask what you think is easy. I'll tell you what's easy for me. For me, it's easy for me to give in to sin. For me, it's easy to go with the flow of the culture around me. To fit in with other people that I know that aren't Christian. It's easier to do that. When I come to church, it's easy for me to tune out. When I come to church, it's easy for me to say, I've had a long week, I'm tired. It's easy for me to say, I'd rather take than give. I'd rather be left alone than invest. There's a lot of things that are easy for me. And I suspect that they're easy for you too. But that's not necessarily right. Those easy things aren't necessarily the good things. In fact, we've been called to a life and we've been promised certain things. Grace, in fact. Brothers, grace for the life that we've been called to live. And Paul outlines just a few things here in chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. I'm not going to preach on these verses, but I want to read them. As I told you, I want to get in as much scripture as I can over here. So we're going to read these, these, these verses again just to see about this new life, this, this kind of difficult life, but life together. And I want you to think about what it means for these verses to be lived out right here. I mean, when you come on Sunday here, Petersham. I'm thinking in my head about when I go to St. Thomas's where I, where I still fellowship. But listen to this. 
Be completely humble, verse 2, and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's the unity that we have. We, we are united, now keep it. Keep the unity that we have in the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. We've seen this. God is our Father, collectively. We are His people, collectively. We are in one body. We have one Lord Jesus Christ. We have one Spirit dwelling in us as we are being built up as the temple of God itself. Now there's an encouragement. We've seen all that rich truth. We've got to live accordingly. Live according to that great calling. It's difficult to process these things. It's, it's, it's easy to read over rich theology and not actually put it into practice here, even in these simple ways when we gather together. So I want to explore this a little bit tonight. And the one thing that I want us all to see tonight is that each of us, each one of us, is essential for the growth of the church. Each one of you is essential for the growth of Petersham. That's really important. We must each play our part. Now, I am assuming that you care about the growth of the church. If you don't care about the growth of the church, I need to tell you, you don't love Jesus. Now, that's a strong thing to say, I realize. But if you care about Jesus, you care about His people. If you care about Christ, the head of the body, you care about Christ's body, the church. You love Jesus, you love the church. You care about Jesus, you care about the growth of the church. And if you don't care about the growth of the church, this is a great place to discover the truth about Jesus. Come to church here and hear the Gospel. Hear what it is to be forgiven of sin to be reconciled to other people, to be reconciled to God, to know what it is to have that kind of freedom in your life, that kind of peace that we saw earlier today in chapter 2. But if you do belong to Jesus, you should have earnest concern for the growth of the church. And this concern needs to manifest itself in your participation in building the church. That is Christ's body. Well, we're going to look at three things in this section which will show us God's plan for growing His church and our part in that plan. I think you've got notes in your, your, your handouts again. Um, they're very thin notes, I realize. That's, that's the story of my life. I just want you to know that, okay? I, I lecture every week and I give very thin notes. And... Um, I'll tell you what I tell my students. You know, I'm sorry you're going to have to deal with it. That's what it is. So, first of all, we see our victory. We see our victory. And I just want to tell you right off the bat, our victory is the ascended Lord Jesus. The ascended Lord Jesus. That is Jesus enthroned in heaven. That's our victory. Christ is victorious and he's victorious for us. We talked about this already earlier on in chapter 1. And I'll read it to you just in a moment again. 
But we don't want to underestimate the significance of this truth for our lives. Our passage opens in verse 7. We're looking at verses 7 to 16 tonight. Our verse opens in chapter uh, in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Christ has given us grace and he's given it according to the measure of the gift that he's gifted us with. Now, that's a mouthful. Each of us has been given a gift and we've been given grace to match the gift that we've been given. In other words, we've been given enough. We've been given enough by Jesus. He is the gift giver. He gives gifts as the Lord of all, as the one who has ascended to the highest place. Look at verse 8. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. It's likely a quote from Psalm 68 there. You can see at the bottom in the footnote in your Bible. And it's explained in verses 9 and 10. Paul asks the question, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, Paul writes that as if it makes perfect sense to us. Um, I teach the Bible for a living. And I get a passage like this and I say, oh, really? That's obvious. It's not. Okay? I, I realize that. Okay? I'm very grateful for helps here. And I've um, tried to make sense of this as I can. What I think Paul is drawing on is the fact that Jesus descended to earth, became a man, and fulfilled the will of God so that now he is ascended back having achieved all that God had purposed and planned for him. And this is what we get a picture of, I think, when we talk about Christ being all in all, filling all. He has, domain, he has dominion over every domain. Everything that he has needed to do in order to accomplish the will of God has been done. So he stands victorious. In fact, he's seated victorious. That's what this tells us. Think back again to Ephesians 1. We've already read it earlier. Ephesians 1.20. Paul reminds us what's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. I'm going to read it from your Bible here. I've got a printed, but I'm going to read it here. 1.20. Starting in verse 19 in the middle. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There is no realm over which Christ does not stand victorious. There is no power that Christ does not have. Therefore, He can give everything necessary to see His church grow. That should be really reassuring to us. Especially in view of the last sermon where I was telling you, Paul's, Paul's addressing their despair. And now Paul says, look, I'm writing as a prisoner. Now you need to do likewise. You need to not be a prisoner necessarily, but you need to live according to the faith that you've received. According to this calling. And recognize what God has given to you. Christ has given gifts. And not only has He given gifts, He's given grace to match the gifts that He's given. 
He's given everything we need so that His body can be built up. All of us have a gift and Christ the Lord of all has ensured that we all have the grace we need in perfect proportion to the gift that we've received. One of the things that I've noticed as a pastor in the past is that there are times in which people are reluctant to serve in church. They're nervous, they're timid even, because they think, what if I'm not able? What if I'm not as good as so-and-so? What if I actually make a mistake or things fall apart? Or what if I make a fool of myself? Or what if I make a fool of others? There's a real reluctance sometimes for people to serve in a way that uses the gifts that they've been given. But here in this passage, we actually see we have everything we need. And that's a faith claim. We trust the Word, which tells us that Christ has given grace proportionate to the gifts that He's given. Which means that we actually have no excuse. There can be no fear, timidity, or weakness, or worry. Now, I'm not saying that insensitively, because I still get scared to death by so many things. Okay? There are many times that I get up very nervous in front of a crowd. Or especially when I'm sharing the gospel with a stranger. My stomach sinks just like yours does. And I talk myself out of it. A couple weeks ago, I went to Dad's drinks with the school. And I was thinking about three excuses of how I could get out of that night. To just stay home and... I had a long week, you know. I'd really like to be on the couch or, you know, they really don't want to hear from me about this and that and the other. It's amazing the ways that the Lord actually opens up opportunities. And even then, Amy and I had committed that time to prayer. And God opened doors for great conversations and follow-up conversations that are still coming on because of that. But I still get scared. But Christ has given us what we need. He's given grace. It doesn't mean that I'm gifted in everything and therefore I should serve in anything that I want to. No, actually, I have specific gifts for specific use in the church, just as you do. In fact, all of us do. So, I'm not going to try and play the violin. Thank you for playing so wonderfully. That would be painful. Okay, just a small example. But Christ has given you a gift, and you have what you need for Him to use that gift. One more example from my own home, and I haven't told my wife I'm going to talk to her about this, but my wife is a keen evangelist. Her, her heart really is to see people trust Jesus. Now, I am not naturally as aware of opportunities, nor am I as naturally driven towards opportunities. My wife is. She wakes up thinking about people that need to hear the gospel. And she's constantly reminding me to pray for people. Well, she gets very scared about these things. Even though she's driven to evangelism, she, like me, will try to talk her way out of taking these opportunities. But each time she does prayerfully, she just told me last week how amazed she is that God uses small opportunities even to further conversations about Jesus, to open new doors, to bring down resistance against the gospel. 
and to see more and more opportunities coming up for the gospel to go out. But one thing my wife probably doesn't notice is actually just in her thinking about trying, just in her encouraging me to pray and encouraging other people in the church to pray and encouraging other people around us to keep finding other opportunities and to do that together, she's actually serving as a gift of encouragement to so many others. It's not even about taking the opportunities as much as it's about just keeping me going in the opportunities. About keeping me prayerful and mindful of the lost. So it is with all of us. There are ways that we can serve and see how God is gifting us with His grace to build up His body. Grace is given by our victorious Christ. He's powerful. He's provided. But do we trust it? Do we trust God's Word? Just as much as we trust God in salvation, the grace of God that's come to us, I'm saved by grace, not by works, Ephesians 2 tells us. Do we trust that same grace for continuing in the Christian life? For taking our place in the church? Second, we see our gifts. And Paul shifts here in the passage to talk about how a few gifts are used in the church. Look at me at verse 11. So Christ himself gave. Now the giving there I think is giving us an example of gifts. But the gifts you'll notice are people. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There's a very helpful structure here that's happening in this passage that helps us to clarify roles. I think often in church, at least in my experience at church, we get misconceptions about who's supposed to do what. We kind of get confused about, you know, who's paid for ministry? Who's trained for ministry? Who's not? Who should be serving? Who shouldn't be serving? Who does what? And this passage, I think, gives us some clarity about roles so that ministry is not hindered. Paul says that Jesus has given leaders to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Persons, that is people, gifted for tasks. And the common thread of these particular gifts, these five that are listed here, are teaching ministry. These people have been given a very specific task of teaching God's word to God's people in different forms and capacities. The apostles sent by Christ as the founders of the church, if you will. The prophets... Probably those that were testifying to the gospel early on and setting the foundation, therefore, the apostles and the prophets being the foundation of the church as we saw earlier on today. The evangelists, those that are taking the gospel out to the world. Now, they might be telling the gospel inside as well because we need to keep hearing the gospel and hearing the gospel, but think about it. How is the church started? How did you come into the church? Well, you had somebody share with you the gospel. So these evangelists serve the church by bringing people into the church. They're the recruiters, if you will. They're the ones that are helping us find new people to come into this family by telling it well outside so new people come in. And then you get a linked role here. Pastors and teachers. Pastor, teacher. It's the only one that's really linked in this passage. But pastor and teacher have a bit of overlap. Pastors care for souls, shepherding. They're keeping sheep in line. They're keeping a watchful eye out for the people that are under their care. 
And there's obviously an element of teaching that's involved in this. And teaching also involves a particular kind of care for soul. We don't just teach to nobody. We teach to people. People that we care for. People that we want to see instructed in the truth and built up in the truth. And these five roles that have been listed here are really the primary offices for the teaching ministry in the church. There are a set of people that have been gifted to sit teaching over the church, but this isn't the only teaching role over the church. They teach to the church so that the church can then take its part in continuing the word ministry. And we're going to see how this works here in just a moment. But before we do, I hear your objection. See, this verse shows you Ministry is for paid professionals. For people that are theologically trained. That have spent years at theological college. Not true. In fact, not true at all. This passage is trying to orient us to a particular set of people. They might be theologically trained. So be it. But people that are trained to serve everyone so that everyone can do their part in the body. If it's just these people serving, we are poor. We're starving. We're misled. And until everyone takes their place, we will always be impoverished and weak. And we're going to see how this works here. Now, Paul says these people were given, verse 12, to equip his people. The first thing they were given for was the equipping of the saints. They serve a congregation in an equipping capacity. That is to help others to do the work of ministry. We have to hear this with clarity tonight. Your ministry team, and they're great people by the way, you've got a great team here. Your ministry team serves you preaching, teaching, leading, training, etc., So that you can be equipped. So that you can be equipped for the work of ministry. So why are Christians equipped? To what end? They are equipped for the work of ministry. All of us. It's important. See how this works. To equip for the work of ministry for the building up of the body. Paul writes in such a helpful way here. A wonderful little succession of how things fit together. Some people serve to help others grow in skills so that they can serve so that everybody is brought up into maturity. Each person playing the part, verse 16 talks about in a moment, we'll see. Paul moves on to elaborate exactly what this building up entails. You can see this in verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He's talking about a particular understanding of the truth. Doctrinal precision My wife was just telling me the other night about just how nerdy I am. I get it. 
But theology is not reserved for nerds only. This is the stuff of life. Now, she wasn't saying she doesn't like theology. She was just reminding me of who I actually am. But we all should have an invested interest, a vested interest in theology of knowing the truth, the knowing the truth of God's Word. This is what Paul prayed for in Ephesians 3. This is what he's hoping for. God, do what you alone can do. Help us to know what we can't know. Help us to not just know it, but to know it in our hearts, in our lives, to live it. To be so convinced of it that we can live it out in the face of adversity. And Paul has in view here a particular danger of false teaching. In order for us to keep moving on in the faith, we must be certain about what we believe. I wonder if you know. We won't do this tonight, but what if we gave you a little quiz on theology? I was taken back. I mean, I, I, I work in a theological college, but um, some years ago when I was doing my Ph.D., there was a student studying and doing a master's degree from another institution. And they said to me, um, you know, Jesus is no longer a man. So after Jesus died, he's no longer a man. Now that's very problematic for our theology. But I wonder, could you tell somebody why it's important? Could you tell somebody why it's important to know that Jesus is God and man? Could you tell somebody why it's important that he still is a man? Could you tell us about how Jesus and the Father relate? I raise these questions to say that if we put a cap on our growth, we're fools. Because the world is going to raise a whole series of questions for us that actually aren't just, again, abstract things that we have to think about, but actually real core issues. Real issues. Issues about our reality. About who we are. About, about how we actually can live. And if we get confused on these things or lost in these things, well, we're going to be like these infants that get tossed back and forth. By every wind and wave of doctrine, Paul says here. So do you know what you believe? The second thing that he talks about here is that we're being built up into maturity, mature adulthood. And here again, the picture is a mature man. That's because he's using this image of a new man, a new body. We're in a body. We're being built up and it's a construction image, if you will. We're, we're growing up. Just think about somebody growing up. You need nourishment. You need to be fed. You have to grow up in the truth. It's bodybuilding imagery. And Paul wants us to think about how we grow together. He's not interested just in you alone. Although that's important. But if we just keep outrunning everybody else, it would be like me lifting weights with only one arm. That would be pretty silly. Can you imagine that? I would actually love to see an experiment. If somebody... Maybe Noah, you could try this. Next six months, just do curls with one arm. Getting heavier every day, and let's see how you look next year. Um, it'd be ridiculous. But actually, for the, the balance and the life of our, our bodies together and our function together, if I've got one strong arm, one weak arm, I can still function, but I'm not going to be as effective as I would be if I had two. 
And if I, if I have weak legs that I can't stand on the same, again, I need all the parts moving. We want to build up the body growing together in Christ. And although we're already in Christ, there's a sense in which we're growing up into Him. Now, of course, we won't ever be fully mature until that final day. But between now and then, we keep seeking, we keep listening, we keep loving, we keep praying. So that even when false teaching confronts us, we can stand firm. And we do this together. And finally, we see that God uses our gifts for our growth. And this gets picked up in verse 14. Look with me at verses 14 to 16. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. And people do want to do that, by the way. People really want to deceive. They want to use us and abuse us. They want to mislead us so that they can take advantage of us. But instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to be in every respect mature body of Him who is the head that's Christ. From Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul uses a couple of images here. First of all, he starts negatively. And he talks about immaturity. Immaturity equals being pushed around. Coming and going. My friend that I described to you earlier this year, or earlier today, um, the one who ended up walking away from Christianity. Every academic book that he read, now not all academic books are bad, but everything he read, every new idea was suddenly his idea. That's true, that's true. Then he reads something else that contradicts it. Oh, that's the truth over there, that's the truth over there. Then he reads something else. That's the truth over there. He changed his mind every book he read. Now, in one sense, we want to keep reading and digesting and growing, sure. But he had no anchor. He had no anchor in truth. So every time he read something new, he just got pushed around. Wherever the wind took him. And he's lost. He's lost at sea. But we have clarity here. We have clarity here in what the Word teaches us about the Gospel that's come to us. And so, as infants, there's a danger of getting swept up in false teaching. Just imagine, imagine if, if, if you, you left kids as they are. I've got a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, and a six-month-old. Let's say we keep caring for the six-month-old for a little while longer. But let's say tonight, you know, I just push the seven-year-old and six-year-old out. You're on your own now, kids. You can tie your shoes. You'll be all right. I mean, imagine how far they'd get. Go out and find some food for yourselves. You know, make a shelter. Do whatever you need to do to get going. Now, that's, that's just ludicrous. We would never do that. Now, why would we stop then when we think we just get gospel basics? Now, again, gospel basics are essential. I'm teaching my kids the essential, but as my kids grow, I want them to mature. I want them to learn. I want them to become active members of the community. I want them to be able to support others and support themselves and keep growing up in truth and maturity. 
Just imagine if we just cut ourselves off. Just in Christianity 101. No, we keep coming back to the Word. We keep listening closer and closer and closer. Praying, Lord, help us to know what we can't know. Help us to comprehend these things. Give us strength. Bring us to fullness in Christ. Well, another message than here, on the contrary, he talks about us growing up and maturing into Jesus positively. Against the false teachers who lie, we speak the truth in love to one another. And you see, just as there are gifted leaders to teach the word of God in the congregation so that we can be equipped, we are equipped for the work of ministry. And this ministry involves speaking the word to one another in love. Speaking the truth in love. This is a very difficult thing to do. I mean, who actually likes to hear a word of rebuke? Who actually likes to hear somebody say, actually, I was reading this verse, and I think this would be helpful for you here. I'll tell you what makes it possible. The gospel when we have security in the foundation that Paul's set out for us, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the foundation of Christ, the cornerstone, us being built up together, squared with Christ, there's security there. I don't have to be on guard about always being right. I can trust the message of the gospel. If I'm in sin, I don't have to be on guard saying, I'm okay, I'm fine on my own. Don't tell me what's right and wrong. Because actually, I don't want sin. And I have assurance that my sins have already been paid for. So even if you point it out, it doesn't mean that I'm sentenced to death. It means actually I can keep moving from life to life. Growing in the truth. This is one of the most difficult things, I think, of us getting beyond kind of square one as a congregation to growing up into rich maturity, is to having that kind of gospel freedom, that kind of trust that comes only in having the gospel. But it is so important because we need to speak the truth in love. And if this church is going to grow, and if my church is going to grow, if we are going to grow as Christians, we have to have every single person participating. Every single person finding their place. Every single person taking their part. Or else we're going to be impoverished. Now, I mean that. I don't just say that just to try to make you feel better. Like, I've got to play. No, you must take play. The other thing is, you have to be willing to receive from somebody else. You have to be willing to serve, but you also have to be willing to serve. To be served. Some people love to just give and give and give and give. But as soon as somebody says, let me help you out. Oh, no, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay, really. Well, Why? Why cheat them of that opportunity? Why act as though you don't need their gifts in your life? Why act as if your gifts are all-encompassing? They're not. In fact, one of the best things we can do in our church is realize I'm not everything. I can't do everything. I need other people. I need other men to walk beside me as brothers. I need other women, actually, in my life. To help me hear 
better the Word of God. To help me know what it is to have sisters in Christ. I need younger kids to encourage me with enthusiasm and a very young and in some ways simple faith. We're going to the UK um, next year for a trip and somebody said, you can stay with us. The one thing you have to do is, is tell people about Jesus with us. My daughter says, oh, that's easy. I thought, oh, is it? Well, great. Glad you're coming along, actually. That's great. You're enthusiastic. And that's simple but beautiful. I need my kids to remind me, yeah, we can do that. No problem. I need older and wiser Christian men and women helping me think through life better from their rich experience. And they're reading the scriptures for many decades longer than me. See, we need each other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said at one point, it's inconceivable that the things that are of utmost importance to each individual should not be spoken by one to another. If the gospel is the most important thing to us, if we say this is God's word for us, why would we not share? It's inconceivable. I remember sitting at um, breakfast with somebody once. This woman was, was talking to me. She'd been in a church. I was at a house party. She was at a church for 15 years. And I said, oh, you know, tell me, how are you growing in the Lord? She goes, I don't even know that I'm a Christian. I said, oh. She said, I've been coming here for years, but I'm just not sure. I realized she's been hanging around, but just hasn't been asked the questions. And we start talking. She starts burying her soul. And a guy comes and sits right between us and he goes, how about the weather today? Have you enjoyed the weather this weekend? And the conversation was over. Now, I understand it was a polite kind of just, I don't know you, let's talk about something to kind of start a conversation. We never got beyond weather with him. And this woman never got beyond these questions. Questions about her soul. It's inconceivable that we wouldn't speak to one another about the most important things to us. He goes on and he says it's unchristian, consciously, to deprive another of the one decisive service that we can render to them. If we cannot bring ourselves to utter it, we shall have to ask ourselves whether we are not still seeing our brother or sister garbed in their human dignity which we are too afraid to touch. Thus forgetting the most important thing, that they too, no matter how old or highly placed or distinguished they may be, are still human like us. Sinners in crying need of God's grace. The more that we learn to allow others to speak the word to us, to accept humbly and gratefully even more severe reproaches and admonitions, the more free and objective we will be in speaking, to our, speaking ourselves. It is a difficult thing. To speak the word of God to somebody else. It's a difficult thing to receive the word of God from someone else. But we can do it because it's God's word to us, for us as a people. For our good. Building us up in the unity of the faith. Bringing us to maturity in Christ. Knowing evermore the riches of the grace that's come to us in Him. So the vision that we've set forward for the church today is actually fairly simple. We stand together because of the gospel. Strange people. 
random people brought together in Christ to be one new humanity. Peace. Peace with each other and peace with God. We've been given a prayer that we would actually understand and know and stand strengthened in this truth. Even in a world that's hostile. And I, as we look outside and pray for resilience in that kind of space, I hope we look inside and pray for strength to comprehend the truth together, to, to serve one another according to the grace that's been given to us. Grace that matches the gifts that each of us have. Each of us finding our place in the body because we won't grow unless we work together. From Him, Christ, the whole body, verse 16, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You. We thank You that we can call You our Father. We thank You for the salvation You've given us in Christ. And we thank You that Your Spirit dwells in us as Your people. We all have a long way to go. But we have reassurance that You've given us all that we need to mature in Christ. Help us, Lord. Keep us in the unity that You've given. Unity in the Spirit. In the bond of faith. Help us to serve one another. This is not a display of ourselves. It's a display, Lord, of what You've given to us so graciously. Christ the Victor. Christ Almighty. May You be pleased to mature Your church, growing us up into the fullness of Jesus. Protect us from false teaching. Protect us from fear. Strengthen us in faith and help us stand reassured in the promises that you've given to us in your word. We ask it so that you might be glorified in your church. I pray especially for this church here at Petersham. Protect them. Protect them from the schemes of the evil one. From lies and deceit. But also protect them from themselves. When they would otherwise wish, as I would, to take the easy route. Let them see how good it is that you've given gifts to us. And let them entrust themselves to you and what you've provided so that, again, you might be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.